This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. This episode contains spoilers from the Shadowhunters world, except for the last hours. There are also mentions of Throne of Glass, Sherlock, Fleabag, and Crescent City. For full list, please see show notes. Hi, everybody, and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are discussing The Bane Chronicles by Cassandra Clare and Jessica Marie. <laughs> I'm already I, excited. I know the answer to this, but uh, just just to, uh, you know, stay consistent. We love consistency here on Akafe. Jessica Marie, did you cry in this I book? I did. I did. I wasn't. I was. I was doing so well. I was tearing up, but I was like, nope, hold it back. Hold it back. The last chapter did me in. I sent you a picture. I was like, no, I was doing so well. I didn't want to spiral because I could have easily cried multiple times throughout this book. But I was like, no, we're and, and, and spiral in the sense that knowing how everything is interconnected. But that last chapter and also because we read this through the audio it hit it hits different it hits harder because it's a slew of voicemails and you just you're just in it and there with everybody so my follow-up question to you then would be jessica marie did you expect to cry over simon <laughs> Well, if you go back to many episodes that we have regarding Shadowhunters, no, never, never. Um, and then here I here I was again. I was like hearing Izzy, you know, just laying into the voicemails. And then the like I was already crying. I was just like casually crying. And then the Simon one, I was like, Simon? Simon did this too. Oh, they're all they're all rallying for Alec. I love them so much. And it's funny because we're reading this. We know spoilers for the the third book of the Dark Artifices. Uh they're married. We know that they're married. So this is like we have that background. Um but at the time of this book, we didn't because this book was released in 2013. And Laura, you had looked up that the first book of The Dark Artifices, Lady Midnight, was released in 2016. So if you read these and date in the publishing order in which like the years that they were published, you don't know that information. So it's a lot. Everything's connecting. And as always, thank you so much for for guiding me through these these reading journeys with the Shadow Hunters. I'm loving this order. Well that was my third and final <laughs> question to start off was having now um finished the Bane Chronicles and like really kind of have a solid background now in your Shadow Hunters lore. I you're up to 
double, you know, you're in double digits of Shadowhunters books. Um, how do you feel now about the order that we have kind of tackled everything? I, I love the order. I have, I, I do have questions. I feel like there's always so much going on that I even like, you know, I usually send you chapter updates of like where my notes are. And I'm like, this person is feeling this. Did I forget what happened? Um, there's so many characters. I mean, we have returning characters in this one, but I, but then we also have characters that we have yet to, to discuss, um, specifically with the last hours. Um, we're kind of familiar with them just based on other books that we've read, like um, Tales from the Shadowhunter Academy and just like references and Ghosts of the Shadow Market. Um, so I loosely know who some characters are, like James Herondale, obviously we know is Will and Tess's son. But then to know, like, we don't know why he's so tortured, why he is inflicting a lot of pain upon himself and just kind of like carrying the burden of the world and i was like did i did i black out there's a lot going on we've read a lot of books um i'm not on any shadow hunters talk or social pages because i do not want to be spoiled um so there's just a lot going on and i always kind of checked in with you to be like did i forget who's this person supposed to be you know um but we haven't had any of that and we're really grateful my last and final, <laughs> super final, super uber duper final question to you would be, this is an anthology. We've talked about this before in the other anthologies that we've read. Jesse said, Ghost of the Shadow Market and Tales from Shadowhunter Academy. How do you feel about the different narrators here? Did they work for you? They did. Um, I know we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but I also, I feel like I am on record to say um, I get frustrated when narrators switch during certain series because I love consistency. Um, but I feel like with these anthologies, they've been working um, mostly because like they're 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 little stories. They're different points in the life. They're different years, especially for Magnus's, because he's you know the joke is still going on oh he's 600 years old today he's 200 years old he he changes his age every you know every so often and i don't know if cassie did that to be like wait i've changed the years this is gonna be my oh you know what here's gonna this is gonna fix all my loopholes <laughs> um but it works. It works. And it's fun because we see Magnus and like through so many different time periods during the 1700s, during um, New York in the 1980s and the 1970s, also during the 1920s. So like he's in America a lot, specifically New York, but clearly he needed a break from Europe um, because he just wasn't being welcomed there. And he kind of had people out for him for a while. He did. He absolutely had people out for him for a while. So these, so the Bane Chronicles, this book, these stories are broken down into chapters. Each chapter has a title and a different narrator. And like just said, they're short. They're about an hour and a half, I think, max each. Um, lots of new characters, like you said, and a lot of recurring characters. I honestly am more interested in your reactions and your thoughts to these stories. Um, so Jess, why don't you take us through uh, chapter chapter one? Um, where is Magnus? 
chapter one, Magnus is in Peru, and it's called What Really Happened in Peru? Spoiler, we still don't know. Um, but we get a bunch of stories about him being a pirate, him on adventures with Ragnarfell and Katarina. They're getting, they're, you know, they're trying to, people know who they are without them saying like, oh, we have, you know, we're downworlders essentially. But like people know, people talk and then like, we have a job for you. And they just say, you know what? Let's go on adventures. Let's, let's just, do it. Why not? What else do we have going on in life? And you get different stories, all which you think, okay, this is the reason because we know, um, again, because we've read The Dark Artifices that Magnus can't go to Peru. Um, so, so that's why Alec goes to Peru to essentially, um, you know, get their son. And um, so you're getting these stories. You're like, okay, that's definitely going to kick, get him kicked out of the country. It's not. And even, and even Magnus at one point, he goes, look, I could, I understood if you kicked me out for these other reasons, but none of those reasons are the reason you kicked me out. I just kind of want to know because Magnus is a curious creature. Um, but we don't find that out. <laughs> Yeah, we, we never find out. They say it's crimes unspeakable. And though Magnus has uh, petitioned the council many times, they have not said what he did. Uh, I love all of this stuff. We start, uh, I think the first date is what? 1791. 1791. And then we end in 1962 in um, Cusco. But I, I love all of this. It's all very fun. And we get little like things like this is when Magnus started lying about his age. He, you know, this is 30 years. He's been roaming because his lover died. He's been feeling restless. You know, Ragnar is Ragnar. He's cranky. He's green. He's, uh, what is it? My little peapod. Uh, just like, he was like, yeah, because they're like, you know, they, they're all very well traveled. And he's like, this is the French term for endearment. Cause at first they were, I think like the French term, they were just saying like, oh, they were, uh, saying my little cabbage. And he's like, I don't know. That doesn't make sense. But then they were just like mocking off of that and, Ragnar's like, don't, don't call me that. Don't stop it. And he's like, what do you mean? What if, you know, like, I just, their friendships and their relationships with each other are just so fun. And you, you can tell that they're just grateful for each other because there's only a select few who know what they're going through. Because just like you said, with, um, you know, Magnus being heartbroken and, you know, Everybody is falling in love at different points of their life. And they're also understanding that typically the people that they're falling in love with aren't immortal. And there is an end date and how they there's there's not going to be anybody else who gets it the way certain group of people in, in the Shadowhunter Chronicles, they understand. And Ragnar and Katarina, of course, are Magnus's best friends. And I specifically just want to point out very quickly the 1890 at the lake uh, where Magnus is uh, with uh, Yamasu, Yamasu, uh, the musician. He's trying to like woo, and um, the when when Yamasu breaks up with Magnus, and Magnus goes on his drunken spree and Katarina says that he was crawling towards something like a demented crab I laughed out <laughs> loud because I was just picturing it at you know Matt like all of it it was amazing I love it so much I and you know I one of my notes here was just like 
because we have such a different timeline of and, and exposure to the things that we've read in this series so far, I, I it would be like debauchery, but there's no glitter yet. So like he's still this high fashion guy. He, I'm like he hasn't. Dis- I, I feel sad that he doesn't have. He hasn't been exposed to glitter yet. <laughs> soon, soon. I know it's happening so. Soon, but he's always been ahead of his time because he's like, ugh, these fashion challenge sailors. Like his little internal dialogue and even external when he knows that he just like work slay i love it all it's so good and and then the thing that i really like about the bane chronicles is that we have all of these very lighthearted for the most part stories but then we have little like gems in here about magnus's life like his mother unalived himself or herself like that's that's here like he he talks about it and how like um you know mothers their katarina and ragnar are talking about like their mothers are heroes their fathers are the demons and magnus is like maybe that's true for y'all but that's like that's not really true for me because like my my mother had this situation happen so we have this and then we also have you know magnus's preference for love is black hair blue eyes we have that in this first chapter like it's all here so good it's so good and then also uh, a little gem like magnus is uncomfortable in the quiet he's uncomfortable with like self-reflection because the the weight of time starts to like really get to him he starts to get very introspective so that's why he um like he's a city person now all, all that stuff with the monkeys all of that he's he's a city person we love it we love it just you mentioned um ragnar and france and the french can you tell me about the runaway queen yeah. Um, can, can we start with him being in France, finding a monkey and naming the monkey Ragnar? <laughs> um, there's no reason to start with that. I just wanted to bring it up. There's no segue. I just <laughs> made me giggle. I was like Ragnar the monkey because, you know, if Ragnar was there and he had to be like Ragnar the person or Ragnar the monkey. And he's like, there's only one Ragnar. Like, you know, he would be. <laughs> so frustrated with that um i love it so much but we get marie antoinette here you get to see some of you know magnus is so interesting because you you know when people say like oh you you know you have you know when people have parents or they have kids or whatever they say like it's important for um, the kids to know that the parents aren't just the parents. They have like their people and have this whole other life. I feel like we're kind of getting that with Magnus here because we have a very um, specific scope of who Magnus is. And we're getting all these stories where there's a point of in his life. He's like, fuck it. I don't care what happens. Like, that's my magic. I'll do what I want. I'm going to secure the bag. And he does. And... Like, I, I, in a way that there aren't any morals, but then you, one can say, like, what are morals if you're a downworlder? And there can be, like, a lot of back and forth discussion with that. Um, but I like him. He's kind of doing his own thing. He's still flirting with everybody and anybody he finds attractive. Um, he, Paris feels like his city. Like, he was made for Paris. He loved it. The fashion, the, the style, the people, kind of like the attitude, everybody like if it could be bigger and better, then it should be bigger and better. And that was that's all of Magnus's vibes. Uh, he has an obligation to look fabulous. So you should wear everything. It just it's perfect. 
It's perfect. Magnus is perfect. This is 1791 Paris. Uh, he's been there for what, about six years. There's political unrest, obviously, obviously. And um, the vampires are there in Paris and he has an invitation to the vampires. This reminded me like these scenes gave me very much interview with the vampire vibes. Yes. Like the, I was like, oh my god! Like I just—that's how I visualized it, especially when they were like, "Oh, Marie Antoinette walked in," and he's like, "It's a glamour! It's a glamour!" Hey, like jazz hands. Um, they're like, "Ooh, can you?" We and, and they were on. To, you know that they were on to him because they were like, "No, no! Like don't put your signature. You could, you could get. We could lock you up in a room. You can finish it right here." She's like. Fuck. Because, you know, and, and then when they get her out of the window in the invisible balloon, hot air balloon, I was like, this is why they were talking about the hot air balloon at the beginning of the chapter. I was yeah. like, where? I don't know what the point of this is, but OK. <laughs> and now it's invisible. It's like, oh, oh, all right. It's all connected. It's all connected. But there's another uh, dark hair, or black hair, blue eyes in this one, too. Like, there's one in every chapter, it feels like. And I was so excited when I texted you. I was like, this has got to be Will's dad. I don't know why I thought that, because later we find out that that's not Will's dad, but we should have known based on what we know from the Infernal Devices, but it's been two years since I've read that book. Um, but then it winds up being someone named Axel. And Axel was like, Thank you, universe. Like, people are so hot. We love this for me. (laughs) I really love Magnus. It's like, beautiful people don't just fall out of the sky. Suits don't just fall out of the sky. It's just amazing. Amazing. And uh, yes, you're right. So Axel, Axel's there. He's like, hey, uh, Magnus, like, I'm Swedish. I'm connected to the Swedish royal family. We want you to glamour the royal family and sneak them out. Uh, We'll get them... And Magnus is like, all right, bet. And Jess, as you said, uh, he enchants the balloon to come across Paris and gets them out. Very fun, very silly, very like lighthearted, but like not when you think about what happened to Marie Antoinette. Uh, and then the vampire party, um, Henri, and then there's like banishment. We talk about the gray book. And then, uh, you know, we, we love, we love Germany. We love, we love when he, uh, goes to Germany. And yeah, he goes to Germany. He's hanging out in the Alps. It suits him. I find I'm kind. I feel kind of bad. And my note was that he was checking in on Axel to make sure that he's okay because he was seen like making out with Axel, and the vampire saw him. And we already know that the vampires had taken um, the people who were close to him in Paris and had them as their meal because they were mad that Magnus took Marie Antoinette and helped her escape. Um, And he was just like, he wanted to make sure Axel was alive. And Axel's brother reached out to him. He's fine. He's alive. Like, please reach out. And he burned the note. And it's just another selfless thing that Magnus did because he knew by burning that note, it was to save somebody he cared about. He didn't want any other interaction because that would just point everybody in that direction and didn't want that affiliation i just i love him so much how did we feel about vampires scones and edmund herondale this is where i started personally to start tearing up oh so this is another good one because i was like we knew it was a herondale we love a herondale story but it's another origin story because it's not will it's it's his dad and 
his before his dad was who we have met. But again, when he was a kid, and and even Magnus was, he was like, "Ooh, I don't usually like blondes, but okay, <laughs> I love it so much." And and you know, in true Harrendel form, he's like, "That's not my thing, but I love being appreciated." Like. He's like, I mean, hey. I mean, tell me Jace doesn't come from that line. <laughs> you can't. Like, it, it's just, it's so obvious. It's so obvious. My God. It's amazing. Uh, this chapter is narrated by Andrew Scott, who's the hot priest from Fleabag. He's also Mor- Moriarty in Sherlock. Oh, he was so good. And I didn't know hot priest's name. So I remember being like, oh, Andrew Scott. I really like how he specifically narrated just as, and I was like, I would listen to him because there are people who have great voices, wonderful voices. And we'll, you know, and we'll get to it too, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they were, I would want them in a fantasy read. Like it just sounds like story time at a library as opposed to putting, um, bringing the characters to life. Yeah. And Andrew Scott has a very like soothing kind of he he reminded me a lot of uh james uh narrating um like queen of Arundel, you know those those a very smooth very nice I, I liked it a lot of course i just love andrew scott uh this story is fucking heartbreaking 1857 we are in london and we meet Camille, Jess, were you excited, surprised to see Camille? Yeah, I was, I was surprised because I just, I never remember. I feel like, you know how editor Sam has his Game of Thrones family tree? I feel like I need a game, like a, a Shadowhunters family tree and how everybody's connected, not just from the, like, not just from like the Blackthorns, the Lightwoods or the Harendells, but also like, everybody else and and a timeline of where everybody's popping up like that would be insane be like 1957 1758 like every where the appearances are because that'll take up like an entire wall it would it absolutely would because we also have ralph scott who mentions his brother Wolsey, and we know we love we salute we love. Uh, we also have um, De Quincey, who we meet in the internal devices as well. We also have Aloysius Starkweather. Fuck that guy. Consistently fuck that guy. Awful. Yeah, he even says, like, and even on Morgenstern, where Magnus was like, that's an awful name. I was Terrible like, you don't even name. know it. You don't even know. You don't know. You don't know, but it's awful. Uh, they are there. I say they. The Downworlders are there at the Institute in London to talk about the peace accords and kind of ratify them. Um, but really, it's just a lot of like preaching Bullshit. and yeah. yeah, just it. it We're this better is, than you. Yeah, and this is the instance where Magnus in um, the Mortal Instruments. This is the scene. Where Magnus is like, well, the last time that I was here, they fucking threw out the plates that we dined on. And this is that. This is that moment because this is because they were going to dinner and and um, Edmund just comes up. Edmund is Will's dad. um, And he's like, oh, yeah, they just like tossed out. the. You know, we got to wait for dinner. They tossed out the plates. And that was when everything was clicking. Like, oh, because we touched them. The downward, there's such the plates. So now they're like 
check in everything. Yeah, because we will corrupt their precious plates. And I like that Magnus throws that in uh, everyone's faces in the mortal instruments. And it's just like, oh, that's terrible. And now we actually have it. And it's like, wow, that really is shitty. That was shitty. Oh. Yeah, and, and Edmund was even like, look, I don't fucking care. As long as we're, like, we're both on the same side that, like, demons suck, like, you're cool with me. And he's always been consistently, like, fine with it. He's like, doesn't matter to me. Yeah, at all. And what else do we get here? We get baby Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Love it. We love baby Charlotte. We also get uh, mentions of Benedict Lightwood and how he just got married and like, what is it? Like bad news, Benedict, something like that. Because they know he likes to fuck demons. Like <laughs> it, was, it was it was like, oh, okay. And and Edmund's like, he is not my friend. Like, let's just let's like, just yeah. stop that now. <laughs> Demon pox starting early. Yeah, it's like, uh-uh, we, we, no, f- I feel bad for the girl. I feel bad for her. Like, fuck that. Uh, amazing stuff. This is the chapter also where Magnus has the, like, they're, they're, somebody's, tra- I can't remember who was talking to Magnus, and they were like, Magnus, are you paying attention? He goes, somebody incredibly attractive just came into the room, and I ceased to listen to a word you were saying. Like, no shame. No shame. It's just, it's so lovely. Yeah, and Camille is just like, I like I like this. He's delicious. Like I and she's like, would you share him? And Magnus is like, uh, for, not not for a meal, but like, did, is that what you meant? <laughs> I know. I mean, I'd share him, but not not like that. Not like that. But yeah, <laughs> it, it's just it's so it's so much fun, especially just knowing all that we know. You know, and I think I think it's important to stress that this is the first. I mean, aside from like the crying chapters and where we get like water you know teared up it's probably one of the lightest of the books that we've read yeah out of the shadow hunters because even the ghost of shadow market wasn't this light it was heavy the whole time yeah ghost of the shadow market is very heavy this is very fun this chapter is a little bit heavy though uh because uh as you said Edmund is eavesdropping on the meeting with all of the kids and they get caught and Magnus leaves and Edmund like plops down. He's like, hello, let's go to the tavern. They go to White's Tavern. They get really drunk. And this is where Magnus starts to be like, ooh, he's at the gaming tables. His his eyes are like not jolly eyes anymore. They went like kind of hard. Magnus is like, mm, I'm going to file that away for later. File that away. And then there is a demon attack and Edmund who, why have one bun bun when you can have the box, Herondale, meets the love of his life. Meets the love of his life. And, like, he didn't know it. And this is after he went on a whole little monologue to to Magnus saying, I don't need love. Like, I'm going to get it wherever I can, whenever I can. Like, look at this. I'm the whole, I don't want to share. Like, who wants, I, I want, I want, the world is my oyster, basically. He just didn't want to get locked down. He gets locked down, like, day three. He's like, can I call for you? Like, no, day, the day of, he's like, uh. I'm going to I'm going to call for you. And the next day, he's like, "So you ready to get married?" <laughs> he's like, "What?" And, and Magnus shows up back to the institute a little bit later and runs into Edmund, Edmund holding a Pixis. He's like, "I am engaged to Lynette." And Magnus is like, 
okay. He's like, yeah, like I went to her house and like they didn't let me in. So then I like basically hid in the bushes for a few days. And then finally she came out and I like went after her. And Magnus is like, so you stalked her. You stalked this poor woman. He's like, <laughs> it worked. We're engaged. <laughs> Bless a hair and do. You know, when their heart's in it, you know, and they're finally able to to come through, I guess you could say, because same thing happened with Will. Will was like, I'm right there. Shit, my best friend beat me to it. Um, Gotta hold a beat. And then he tried again. He's like, yes. Ah, got it. This, though, he's holding the Pixis. We know what the Pixis is, what it represents, what happens with the Pixis. We know all of it. It is it is heartbreaking. In this instance, though, it is heartbreaking for a different reason. He's holding it like um, he, Edmund, is holding this picture. It's like, this is when I knew my purpose. This is when I knew what I was born to do. But Lynette will not become a shadow hunter. Edmund will not give her up. So he is going to have his marks stripped. And Magnus is now reflecting on like, this is going to be the death of him because he will not have a purpose and he will substitute that purpose and that rush that he got with shadow hunting with the gaming tables. And of course, we know that that is a huge influence on Will's childhood and a massive reason why he is the way he is. And it's so like, oh, this, it does break your heart. It does break your heart because in all of this time also, Edmund is making these declarations. He's like, I'm not going to ask her to become a shadow hunter either because there's no guarantee that that she'll survive this. And I can't risk my love on chance. Yeah. Like, he's literally giving everything up. And I just, and even when he gets the his, his runes, removed Magnus even though they hadn't seen each other in a long time he tries to stop them and the clave being what they are won't let him like they threaten to kill him so I just I really respect that Magnus despite it all he was like even if I never see Edmund again I know I tried yeah yeah and then he says like you know later on they'll be <laughs> I'm so your face. Right I know where you're going with it. I know. It's like, it's like I couldn't. I couldn't really help this Harrendale, but later on, another Harrendale would stumble on my doorstep with black hair and blue eyes, and I'd be able to help that one. Like, whoo! <sighs> we know what we know. Oh, we know what we know. Uh, we also know that this is where Camille gets the ruby. We love the ruby necklace for some, you know, and it's so sad to to see the trajectory of where their relationship went to because he was like, because I was so excited. I was so excited in these moments. I, I know I sent you a voice memo and I was like, he's he said, you know what? Go for the person that you love. They have a shorter lifespan than I do. I'll wait for you. We'll have an age together. Have this to remember me by when Magnus loves. He loves deep. Yes. Yes, he does. And and it is noted here that, you know, um Camille Camille was like not moved by the plight of the werewolves. She had a vampire's face, she had glass eyes. Uh you know, no flush would would darken her cheeks, but like that's just cuz she was a vampire. It's not because she was unfeeling or uncaring, which does end up um 
being the issue and being the problem in the relationship. Um, great stuff. Great stuff. One Herondale to the other, the midnight air, London, 25 years later. Uh, Jess, how are we finding James? James is acting like a little brat right now. Yeah. He's acting like a little brat. He's acting like, uh, my shit don't stink. I can do whatever I want. I'm invincible. He's Because he's on like a little drunk binge. And he's clear, but he's clearly, I say that, knowing that he's nursing something and is trying to escape something the same way his father did when with with when he was doing drugs um to just escape for a moment and it's just nobody knows why because even when like Tessa and Magnus and Will and Jam like they're all they're like I can't I can't put my finger on it at least with Will we knew where some of this came from. We understood like him being a kid and not having love from his parents because he ran away. Like we know, we know the sadness and the backstory that comes of Will Herondale. I'm not going to spiral. Um, but to that, even Tessa's like, but that this is a completely different situation to our awareness because we've given him all these things. Even when he's kicked out of school, they were like, no, they were a shitty school to begin with. It's not a you thing. It's always been a them thing. Like, this isn't. And that's just with the bare minimum knowledge that I know of from the last hours. So that, so I like that Magnus finds a drunk James. Say, you know, I, I think it's great. <laughs> He's like, oh, this is your son? The one who's been like telling the ducks he is their king? <laughs> Like, it's so good. Uh, drunkenly shooting at chandeliers. Like, Choo -choo. I love it. Taking cops' hats, uh, you know, turning into shadows. Magnus is like, oh, oh, okay. All right. Good to know. Good to know. And yeah, you're right. Ducks embrace me as your king. Um, <laughs> it's, it's good. We get a glint of a bracelet on his wrist. Not mentioned again. Good to know. Uh, what is mentioned again is that when James falls into the river after the ducks, he didn't make an effort to, like, get out. He didn't make an effort to save himself. Magnus had to go, like, physically get him. And um, that's when James is like, no, I'm damned. Like, I am damned. So, like, just as you're saying, like, we don't know what's going on, but, like, fuck, something is going on. What's going on? Yeah, Something and I think, and Magnus was hoping that he would be the one to break through it. And there was a small point, there was a small point that he almost does. And then he makes a comment that hardens James up again. And Magnus is like, fuck, I was so close. Because he says, he's like, he turned away from me and hardened. Like he knew, so he knows. And we, as the reader know, something's going on there. I, we don't know what, well, I don't mm -hmm. know what, you, you know what. <laughs> but... Um, it'll be interesting to see how we find out that information, what it is. And, and Magnus is also trying to click away because we later meet a grace in this, in this, uh, this chapter. And he's trying to, he's trying to wonder if she has something to do with it, but he knows that it's not his secret to tell. Just like when Will confided in Magnus with information from the infernal devices that it wasn't for Magnus to say any of that information that was for Will. And, you know, he's trying to create that safe space for um, James as well. 
These are all my assumptions. I don't know. No, you're, I haven't read the, so <laughs> I just want You're doing very well. You're doing very well. Uh Magnus very gracefully, as you said, Jess, takes um James back to the London Institute. Here we see Bridget. We see Tessa, and she calls for Jem, obviously. Get um, the Silent Brothers. You mean call for Jem? You mean call yeah. for Jem? <laughs> yeah, that was good. obviously. Obviously. Uh, <laughs> the London Institute is redecorating, just like little details. I just love these like little details. Um, but Magnus, uh, w- actually, Magnus is like, Will, like, I haven't talked to you in so long. And Will's like, what about my letters, my guy? What about my letters? I like that thing because, again... This is the 1800s, so we only have one form of correspondence. And they were like, he's like, I haven't heard from you. And they were like, I haven't heard from you. And that's when they find out that the the New York Institute had been withholding the letters that were supposed to be delivered to Magnus. So they were like, okay, we got it. I like that this was their reconnection because you can tell that they they were both trying to have re- like have some sort of communication and obviously they do eventually and that friendship is continued um with magnus and tessa still being friends to this day to this day um i was gonna say magnus hitting on will oh my god magnus hitting on will just of course how could you not hit on will that you stop flirting with my husband magnus no no (laughs) no (laughs) no i shall not it's fair, so Magnus. Like, good God. <laughs> Whew. My gosh. Um, and then, of course, Jem. Jem shows up. Of course, we love Jem. And, of course, the triangle is the strongest shape. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's our new favorite quote. Triangle is the strongest shape. Uh, yes, Jem. Yes, you can play the violin. It's ready for you. Stop. Stop. My heart in cracking into. Right where you left it in the music room. Ah. <laughs> Stop. God damn it. Uh, we have mention of the Scarlet Thread theory. Uh, but, 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 but we have Tatiana. Tatiana. We have Tatiana who has called for Magnus. She wants him to do magic. She wants her. She wants Magnus to essentially spell grace. That is what gets Magnus to Lightwood Manor where Benedict was a worm. It's hard to say with a straight face. I mean, <laughs> I feel like uh, I'm going to re reread the the Clockwork Princess, and I'm going to be like, "Oh, that's right. He was a worm. He really turned into a." It's one of those things that you think you read it wrong, and you don't. Yeah, you don't know. Gabriel is a light worm, right? And they say like you know Gabriel and um, Gideon like clawed their way back into respectability uh, through like good behavior and shit. And um, Tatiana did not. Tatiana's fucking crazy. Let's just call it what it is. Um, uh, Lightwood Manor. I'm just going to say complete disrepair. Utter disrepair. Nothing has happened to it since Benedict was killed um, by Will, Tessa, Jem, Gideon, and Gabriel. Well, and and, and Magnus explains the the state the house is in the blood is still there things are shredded things are peeling nothing there is no upkeep going on with this house even though that um tatiana had fought to get this to like have this ownership to her yes yes and 
finally, Magnus is like, okay, hi, Tatiana. Uh, everyone says you're like um, fucking nuts, fucking crazy. I think Matt or uh, Will says Matt is a mouse. Or, yeah, it's like Matt is a mouse in a tea kettle or something, like something like that. Um, but we meet just as you said, Grace, and Magnus is repelled by Grace. I did find that interesting. Magnus is like, he kind of like recognizes her as a threat. He's like, like steps away from her. He's like, what is that? Like, mm, interesting stuff. We also see Jesse and mentions of Jesse, and that is Tatiana's son who died. We see him in a portrait. God has no mercy and nor will I written on the walls, of course. Tatiana, though, says, Magnus, Magnus, go kill five shadow hunters for me, Magnus. Totally normal. Yeah, totally. That's why she beckoned him. He's like, because part of the thing is like, do y'all know why she's calling for me? And they're like, no, but go find out. And so he's trying to feel a situation out like as if as if he was just going to be like, oh, okay." And honestly, things that we know about like being specific. She's like, oh, so you agree that you'll just go ahead and kill five shadow hunters for me. And you're like, okay, well, my first like, how about you give me the names of the five shadow hunters first and then we'll talk. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, Tatiana, what? <laughs> well, and then he's, she's like, do you, you know, you're a shadow hunter, right? And she's like, I denounce being a shadow hunter. I am not a shadow hunter. He goes, are you a lampshade? Like, what is then? What do you think you are, girl? Yeah, and she's like, "Why aren't you going to do this?" He's like, "Why do you think I would do this?" She's like, "Why, why for money?" You- yeah, she well, and that just shows where her mind is that it's always been about finances, which makes sense because even in her like the things that she's like, I have been raised a certain way, groomed a certain way, and now I have nothing to my name. I did everything by the book. And uh, these are the people who failed me. I did everything that they told me to do. And here is the, like, here is the position that I'm in. So like you assume that she's going to be like, a b c d and e like get these people because now she is an angry person yeah but no it just shuts down and then grace is like uh so magnus is like do you need help do you need help i will help you and grace has a knife and grace is like i do not i do not need help she threatened him and he was Mm -hmm. scared he was scared yeah, he's like, uh, okay, okay. Well, you know what? You know what I'm gonna do? I am um I'm not gonna tell Will and Tessa about Grace because, you know, not my business. I am though going to get the fuck out of here. I'm gonna go to New York. I'm gonna leave this. Goodbye, London. He, yeah, he was clearly like London is not the London that I remember or love anymore. Like this is not for me. And then he has um a rose. DeWitt Bucator moment gets off the boat from Southampton to New York and he's there. Yeah, and he's there. It is New York, September 1929, the rise of the Hotel Dumort. Dumort. So we're back in New York. I, I like when we're back in New York because it gives us an opportunity to be back with the Mortal Instruments, like extended cast a little bit. And it, that's just fun. It's just, it's just fun. It's just fun. Um, so what, what is happening? Uh, Magnus owns a speakeasy. Good on him. Uh, Mr. Dries. <sighs> what else do you do in the 20s? I, you know, secure the bag. 
he's all about like he has been around for so long. I, it would be upsetting if he didn't find out a trick to how the system all works. Yeah, for real, for real. And he does. He works the system. He avoids the raids, whatever. There's this whole sequence about, like, everybody goes to his hotel room, and then he gets a different hotel room. And it's just, it's very fun, very lighthearted, very silly stuff. Sprinkled throughout this, though, is something is coming. The follow the, what, follow follow the money like something's happening with the money the great i mean the great depression is starting to hit like and that's what happens and they were like it's starting it's starting like people are jumping out of windows and it was just a lot of like okay this is you kind of know where we are at this point in time um when they said 1920s or they said 1920s and then they start talking about you know the market crashing or like oh Okay, now we're at that point in the 1920s. Okay. And Dolly, we meet Dolly. Dolly, hello, Dolly. I have a confession. I thought it was Lily at first. So I don't did remember. I. Oh, so okay. did I. Wait, wait, wait. Look. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Lily grabs it. I was like, vampire, it's Lily. And especially because we read this through the audiobook, um, they have jazz music playing at the intro of this episode and we know lily as like the darling little jazzy vampire and she introduces herself kind of like that too so why wouldn't we have thought it was lily and then when she said it was dolly i even thought is this lily duping us real quick yeah it's like wait a minute she giving us a fake introduction but it's like, uh, okay. But Dolly also says, like, all, all the money will break everything. And Magnus is like, okay, fine. I'll go tell the Institute. He goes tells the Institute, which is Edgar Graymark, Lucian's dad. Uh, and at the same time, Aldous, who's the high warlock, is uh, going a little uh, loose in the head. These shadow hunter leaders... These old white men, yes, um, of Shadow Hunter, of Shadow Hunter life. How are they? I mean, obviously, Cassie did that intentionally because, oh, what a headache they are, to say the least. What a headache they are, to say the least. So we have the Hotel du Mort. There are lights in the sky. It's October 29th. Albus is two thousand years old and he wants to go to pandemonium he's got it into his head that he can no longer be on earth he needs to go back to the place where he truly belongs where they all came from he needs to go back to hell so uh he opens a big fucking portal (laughs) and he tries to send everybody to hell there's lights in the sky um and everything comes crashing down there's arrows being shot um this is this is interesting because like from here we get references to Aldous opening the portal later on in this book as like a, like, just like, oh my God. Remember the last time we were here and Aldous tried to open that fucking portal? Like I see, you can still see the fucking char marks in the floor. Like it's just funny. Um, but we have all of that here. And I like that, um, you know, it's like Dolly and Camille. Again, we have a little like sprinkling of what is going on. I thought the funny part of this chapter was they go, I thought my invitation to New Jersey was the worst invite that I could receive. The shame. It made me laugh so hard. You have no idea. And I was like, hey, only people from New Jersey can say that. Yeah, it's like, hey, that's mean. Jeez, Magnus. 
But I like that Cassie's in on the joke too. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, if you want to talk about having a little chuckle, I got a little chuckle at saving Rafael Santiago chapter, the next chapter, because Michael Trevino is the, <laughs> the narrator. And you know what? He's just always going to be Tyler. And, oh, yeah. and, and Tyler sucks. And it is hard to separate them, but he did a good job here. That's what I was going to say. I think he did a good job. I think it also goes back to um, something that you had said in our Shadows, Shadow and Bone episode, specifically to the Netflix like series season one, um, how Ben Barnes is so good with a cape and anybody just general who has done, um, you know, worked in like paranormal fantasy genre, that kind of translates into other realms of their work it makes it easier to take on other fantasy roles like you could kind of I, I i it's just easier i guess and that's why i feel like that's why he did so well narrating like i would re i looked on audible to see if he narrates anything else and he doesn't it's only this chapter um but i think because he's done the vampire diaries and the originals it's not like okay let me just read this word for word like I don't know. I think he can he can do well in a fantasy genre if people gave him a, gave him a second. Yeah, he was. He was he was good. So, Michael Trevino, get yourself a job if you decide to listen to this episode. Yeah, for real. For real. Michael Trevino, you killed it here. You killed it here. Uh what is here? Here is 1953. Uh, New York and Magnus is a private eye. He's a private eye. Uh, very fun. Um, there is a problem in this chapter in the audio just from a technical issue. Uh, oh. there are repeated, uh, paragraphs in the very beginning, uh, describing, um, uh, who is it? Guadalupe who comes in? Yeah. Um, Raphael's mom. Raphael's mom. Uh, the way it's it's just like a repetition. It's just like sloppy um, audio. So that so that's like an editor's. It's yeah. an editor thing. Yeah, okay. it's 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 not Michael's fault. You know, it's an it's sloppy editing. I just thought I would uh, be a bitch and point that out here because it bothered me. <laughs> it bothered me, but you know, whatever. Um, save my son. Save my son, Raphael. He's fifteen. He uh, started hanging out with older boys. And uh, they went missing because there's a vampire there hunting children. Uh, Magnus cannot let that stand, of course. Of course he can't. And neither can the other downworlders because it's been an unspoken slash spoken rule that like children are off limits when it comes to who their victims are, I guess to say, for lack of a better word, for vampires. Um, but then you find out that the vampire involved with the kidnapping is like, oh, yeah, but like kid blood is just so pure and so sweet and it's just like yum 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 yeah and that person is louis karstein who's a hungarian vampire um who's gross uh it's also worth noting that magnus is in love with etta during this time and they are together um magnus goes to the hotel du Mort because that's where louis is obviously and uh weird weird uh, runs in. Basically, all of this chapter is all of that to find Raphael. This is Raphael's origin story. Raphael's origin story. It's another story. origin story that we get in the Bane Chronicles. Now, 
if you listeners go back and listen to our Mortal Instruments episodes, which I encourage you to do, they're very good. Uh, I did ask Jess if she likes Raphael and she was like, yeah, I mean, like, he's fine. Like, <laughs> I did. I couldn't remember. I was like, that sounds about right. It's like, she's like, you're like, I'm not like super attached. You know, he's just, he's, he's fun, I guess. You know, maybe we'll get to know him like more. And I was like, will we? Ha <laughs> um, And, and, and here we are getting the birth of this relationship of, um, Raphael and vampirism, Raphael and his family, and then Raphael and Magnus, and then finally Raphael and Ragnar, which is just one of my favorite <laughs> relationships. I don't know why I didn't re- like they loved tag teaming against Magnus all the time to the point where Magnus is like, I'm fucking leaving. Y'all talk shit all you want. I'll be back later. And then you have Raphael. Does this mean I get the apartment? Are you moving? Is this for me now? And he's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And it's so, again, we get this. Okay. So we get this backstory. Dark Artifice's spoilers incoming. Um, You get this backstory. And again, this book came out in 2013. We have yet to read Queen of Air and Darkness, Dark Artifice 3, knowing that we have Magnus naming one of his sons after Raphael and knowing in Thule that Raphael is even like, oh, fuck. Even in, in, in Thule, Raphael was like, don't have him naming his kids after me. Like, no, because this Raphael couldn't, wouldn't be able to want it either. It's just so good. It's so good. It's amazing. And, and I love this chapter that shows just like the, the character of Raphael, right? Like he's 15. He's a vampire now. Um, and, and Magnus takes him home. He's like, I can't leave, I can't like leave you here. Like you're, you're coming home with me. And he basically like helps him learn how to wear a cross, walk on consecrated ground, uh, you know, control his hunger, control everything. Um, so that he can be around his family and have complete certainty that he will not hurt them. And it's just, it's just so great. We also have here Magnus saying that he would never have a roommate again. He would always have a cat and that cat would always get a birthday party. And that's fun because later on we get, you know, Chairman Meow's birthday. We get churches, but all of these things, it's all, it's all just so fucking fun. I like this is also the chapter where he has his friends being like, don't don't get attached. Don't get attached to some something else, someone else. We know how you get with the Nephilim. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And everyone's like, <laughs> like, it's so good. It's just Magnus has a big heart and I respect how selective he is with who he shares that caring nature with. Yes. Yes. And of course, Ragnar, we're talking about Ragnar. Ragnar um, shows up while Magnus is like working with Raphael and Ragnar is horrified. He's like, Magnus, oh, <laughs> how old is he? We agreed. 18. Like at least the three of us. Yeah. yeah. He was like, you mean Katarina. Like we agreed in Peru. Like 18. <laughs> 18. And Magnus is like, oh my God. No. And Raphael's like, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> right. 
It's so good. And then and then he's like, oh my god, the short one and the green one are making such snotty comments about me. <laughs> it's just so funny. Oh, it's so good. Um and then we also we meet we meet Lily here. This is our introduction to Lily. We finally meet her. Uh, Magnus and um uh Raphael after like graveyard running are stumbling across four vampires in an alley and of course we have Matt, uh we have Raphael saying his famous line are you stupid are you stupid tell me now i love it i love that man up until okay i guess i'll say like the first time that you read this we find out that lily kills the vampire that sired Raphael in this moment, did you think prior to that, but when we found Raphael, did you think at some point, because he goes, oh, he turned to Ash. Did you think that Raphael maybe had killed him, the sire? Because Magnus is under that impression, too. He goes, I've never heard of a baby vamp overcoming their, like, suppressing their hunger to feed to kill their sire. Like, this is unheard of. And I was like, Damn. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I also did. I also did. So then I was like, oh, okay. Okay. And then that makes their connection a little bit more, makes more sense. In, and then how uh, Lily eventually falls head over heels in love with him. Like, I, I, I love them. I love oh, them. Oh, she's going through it. That girl is still, and I say she's still going through it because we don't have the next fucking book of the Wicked Powers. No, we do not. So she's still going through it. She's still going through it. Uh, But Guadalupe and all of Rafael's brothers are going to stop going through it because uh, Rafael shows up to Guadalupe and she just stares at him and and Rafael's eyes are are tearing up, but he's not going to let the tears fall because the tears will be blood. Um, You know, he's like, you're about to cry. It's just, oh my gosh. Um, And Magnus is like, look, I know he's a little bit different. I made him like me. Like, he's like me, like magic, not vampire magic, <laughs> um, to try to make it just a little bit easier. Magic. Beca- <laughs> magic. magic. Not vampires. Because uh, she can believe that if it's magic, that his soul is not damned. And of course, this chapter is all about the soul and how important a soul is to um, Guadalupe, but also like what a soul means to Magnus and what a soul means to Raphael. Um, it's it's all really, it's all really good. Um It is really wonderful to know that Raphael keeps up this relationship with his mother um, throughout the mortal instruments and like his family and like his, you know, relatives, all of that stuff. Because doesn't he? Because this is one of the things that Simon brings up. No. Yes. Because he was like, but you have a relation. How come I, Mm -hmm. that can't be me? (gasps) I just, I didn't even make that connection while I was reading. Yeah. How come you get to have. It's so good. Yeah. He's like, it's different. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Basically, he was like, you have no idea what I had to go through to. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) Again with Simon. Simon gets you again. (laughs) I love it. I love it. It's the most unexpected things. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, uh, Raphael, Raphael, I owe you. I will not forget. I will not forget, Magnus. Uh, you know, you you save me, and Magnus adamantly believes that Raphael saved himself, and that he becomes Camille's second in command very quickly. And he has perfect professionalism, and they basically ignore each other whenever they see each other. 
<laughs> and it's very fun. And I just love, I love them so much. So we have the rise of the Hotel du Mort, saving Rafael Santiago. And then we have the fall of the Hotel du Mort. Tell me about the 80s. Oh, no. The fall of the Hotel du Mort is in July 1977, because this is mm-hmm. the chapter where they have the blackout of New York in that summer. Mm-hmm. Um, they were really specific about the date, because I was just like, how does... And then I went in, and I go, oh... Cassie really went in. It wasn't just like a random... There's a whole... I mean, I should know better. There's a method to all of her madness. Um, I love how the beginning of the chapter starts off. Magnus is in his fashion glory. And some PR girly is like, oh my God, are you in fashion? And Magnus is like, no, I am fashion. I was like, yes, read her. And then um, he has his third floor brownstone walk up on Christopher Street. Sign me the fuck up. I was ready. I was like, ugh. Thank God he's been, like, secure in the bag. I mean, granted, the prices then were much different than they are now, but I still want one of those. Um, oh, and one of my notes. $5 pancakes in New York? He was... I'm, I'm all excited. I'm clearly, like, sucked in because I just know if anybody listens, if you look up what everything costs in the West Village, go have fun with that. Um, but this is where... We have a blackout. Basically, there's a there's the blackout of New York, and if all lights are out, everything's everyone's going crazy. Everyone's running amok. But also, what's happening in the 1970s is there is excessive drug use, and um, and, and the vampires are like you know sucking the blood of people who are doing drugs and the vampires are affected and it's they're not able to control their bloodthirst or their killing and if this keeps happening basically because of like the accords and what the downworlds have agreed upon the lupine are ready to be like we're gonna burn them all they this can't keep happening we need to control our downworlder people or the nephilim are gonna step in and we want to keep this under the radar as you know, from the Nephilim as long as possible, because then they're going to think we can't control our shit and we are they already have problems with us. They're looking for a reason to come and just like do whatever they want to do. Yeah. So that. Yeah. So take, take it from there. Well, no, you're exactly right. Oh. So Lincoln comes to Magnus and he's like, hey, we're doing the thing. You got to come do the thing with us because the vampires Camille specifically, are addicted to the blood that they drink from people who are addicted to cocaine. That is that is the wicked web that we weave here. And nobody put the two together because they were like, oh, we thought like that vampires were impervious yeah. from addiction, right? Exactly. So then we have the blackout on July 13th. All of this kind of comes together. Like the PR girly uh, gave Magnus the tickets. Magnus gave them to uh, Camille and the vampires when he was there to check on them. And Magnus was very upset by how he saw Camille in the throes of her addiction. It was very upsetting to him. It made him feel a certain way. He was uncomfortable. Um, So... Everything going to hell. The PR girlies club, they all get killed um, by the vampires. And Lincoln is there. Lincoln has permission from the Praetor to basically wipe out all of the vampires. And then Magnus and Camille go to the graveyard, get the grave dirt, smash all of the grave the grave dirts, call all of the vampires to the Hotel de Mort, 
and they are locked inside for, what is it, like three days to basically dry out. Yeah, they need a detox. Yeah, and if they can't dry out after three days, then they're just going to like go in and murder them. Um, but they do, most of them, you know, obviously, but like most of them do dry out. Camille is there. Camille is like, Magnus, pick me up. Help me walk around. I need to look strong. Like, I am the leader. I have to do everything here. Um, Raphael's not there. And when he shows up, Magnus is like, Blake, where the fuck were you? Where were you? And Raphael's like, look, I I tried. Like, they were going to destroy themselves and I was going to let them. And then, Jess, how do you feel about Magnus and Katarina at the end of this? It's it's sad. I'm sad because you know... Oh, no, sorry. I'm thinking of Camille. I appreciate him... him Magnus and Katarina have gone through a lot of stuff together. And I and you know, she's she's trying to tell him that she can um uh, she's like I don't think it's a good idea because Magnus wants her to take his memory of seeing the state that Camille was in and he has loved Ka- Camille. They they were kind of I want to say star-crossed lovers in a way. They they always just kind of had an attraction towards each other. And I think there was something in Magnus's mind that at some point in their immortal lives that they would get together. But him seeing her in um, this kind of like drug-dependent, hazy state and murderous state too because she had no control. It was something that he wanted to forget and he's been toying around with memory loss and stuff and he asked Katerina to to do this spell on him. Um, I think it's very funny. Katerina's like, you've been here for two weeks. You didn't tell me because all that part is true because he's like, I have been here for two weeks and I didn't fucking tell her. Um, And she's like, you owe me and you're in trouble. Um, but it, it, it's a mixed bag because we have episodes where you and I have discussed if you can take away your memory, specifically um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Would you take those away? Because would you then be the person that you are? Excellent. Excellent way. Excellent way to segue, I think. I think. Because, Jess, how do you really know what to buy someone? Because... You're not actually officially dating. So what so what do you do? Poor Magnus. Poor Magnus. Um Jess, did you re- remember Elias? Did you remember our sweet sweet Elias? I forgot about him until I remember isn't this the demon that they were like practicing with the kids who yes. were like he's harmless. Like if there's going to be a demon that we practice summoning so the kids can like um so the kid, like I say, the kids, Will and Tessa's kids, and like the Lightwood kids. Like, if there's going to be a demon that we could kind of trust, like we can, it could be this like silly, goofy thing. Yep, yep, that's Elias. I love him so much. I love the accent that they get him here too. Very fun. Yeah, it was so that threw me off. I was like, why is this? A, this is I don't know an accumulation of something. Yeah, it's 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 fun. It's he's a demon. We love him. He's like, don't you remember me with Will Harrendale? It's great stuff. He was like, yeah, we thought you were blue, but like he's like, yeah, you know, whatever. The light does that sometimes. Hey, did you ever talk to that demon? You know, us demons have this running joke that you know you just fake people out in their curses, and Magnus is like, 
that would have been really helpful 200 years ago. Yeah, and he's like, you know, that's not really funny. He's like, ah, it is funny. Uh, it, it is actually, all of it is, it is pretty funny. <laughs> uh, so what what this is, is it's Alec's birthday and Magnus is is in love with Alec and he does not know what to get Alec and he's fretting about it all day. He calls uh, Katerina, who again, Jess, as you said uh, in our last story, was like, you didn't call me, fuck you. And now she's like, I'm not giving you advice anymore. Like enough, enough with this. Oh my God, hangs up on him. I have people to say, Ragnar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, Ragnar, I called Katerina and she wasn't any help. Maybe you can <laughs> Yeah, and, and Ragnar's like, uh, you know, Raphael told me all about this. And, Ra- and Magnus is like, what? What? How betrayal? does Raphael know? I know. This betrayal. What is this? Uh, it's it's very fun. We have little gems that Tessa is in the Amazon and um, Fleetwood Mac. Do they still listen to Fleetwood Mac? Very fun. Uh, Magnus also is remembering um, Clary and he's uh, thinking about taking Magnus when they went to Takis and Raphael walking in and being like, I do not want to see this. I do not want to know this. I can never forget this when he sees them kissing. Like it's just, it's just so fun. Lily, you're a bad boy. And Magnus just being like, my friends will not help me, but who comes to the rescue? Izzy. Isabel. Isabel. I love Isabel. I love I love Isabel. She's so wonderful. She's such a good sister. She's such a good friend. She's somebody that I'd want in my corner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, she's like, well, she's there and Magnus sees her wearing the ruby necklace. Maybe I'll tell her one day where it came from. Very fun. Uh, she walks over and starts making coffee. That's just the kind of girl that Isabel was. Uh, amazing. Um, I know you're together, Magnus, with my brother. I don't care. She says it in a way that was like, f- you know, focused and and like she had practiced saying it before. She will stand up for her brother. My God, we love Isabel. I like that this is the part where because because he's still uncertain. He knows that it's his birth. He's like, it's okay. Like it's Alex's birthday. He's going to be with his family. And Isabel made this. We know this, and she took a made it a point to go out of her way to see Magnus. And she's like, "Look, here's my number. You're kind of dating my brother. I don't know what y'all are, but you mean a lot to him, and he means a lot to you, despite you not knowing what you're you are, because they haven't had a date at this point yet either." But they just know that she cares. And, and what does Magnus say? Magnus has some internal dialogue explaining that she approaches him knowing that, God forbid, anything were to happen to Alec. She knows that Magnus is an important person who would need to know what's going on with her brother. Uh, so then Magnus is like, genius. I have a stroke of genius. Give me your whip. Isabel, give it to me. And he puts potions on it. He puts a spell on it, gives a little extra kick, doesn't say anything, knowing that Isabel will casually mention it, knowing that that is the birthday present, knowing that what Alec wants most is to protect his sister. Ugh. And knowing that. And this boy doesn't saying he's not in love with her. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
And then this is our circle back moment to Peru and the quiet place. And this is Magnus reflecting that like um, Alec is his quiet place. Alec brought him peace. And then he's like, fuck, I'm in love. Fuck. Damn it. Um, the subplot to this is Caroline Connor and um, the Curse the Mermaids exclusive yachting PR. Very fun stuff. Um, it ends with Alex showing up, um, kissing. They would never be parted. But then Elias being like, your father will have you in the end. What the fuck, Elias? Why are you sending us off like that? Huh? Huh? Because I we- think... People forget that Elias is still there so often. Oh, you're still here. Like, we didn't we didn't send you back yet. I think that's what happens a lot with him. He's just like, he's like, I'm going to make it worth my while, I guess. Excellent. So now we have the last stand of the New York Institute. This is a little bit out of order because we go from um, Alex and Magnus's beginning of their relationship to 1989 New York at 8 p.m. in front of an AIDS clinic waiting for Katerina. The fucking circle is out and it's out for a vengeance and it is murdering people and the Nephilim are kind of like, eh, but they're our best and brightest. Are they really doing anything wrong? I hate the circle. I hate talking yeah. about them. I know that we have to um, because... This is the beginning of what happened. Like, these are the origin, the continued origin stories. It's not the origin story because we have so much history from the the circle. But to know how awful, to continue to know how awful they are and how their actions are still transcending into the mortal instruments. Yeah, because this is this is the incident. This is the like the incident that everyone kind of talks about in Hush Hush where um we'll say it. Uh Maris and Robert and the circle fucking slaughter the entire white claw or the white white <laughs> law. Not white claw. The white <laughs> white law uh family. They take them they take them out. They take them the fuck out after the white the white laws came to the defense of the, of the werewolves. Doubt. Yeah. Yeah. They came to Magnus when he called for aid after initially brushing off Magnus's claims about the circle. Um, Magnus warns them again. He says, like, this is where they are. This is what they're doing. This is what time. This is where we're going to be. And they fucking show up and slaughter them. And we have Maris. We have Robert. We have Stephen Herondale. We have Valentine. And we have Lucian. And like, fuck. And I like this this kind of commentary that we have on Stephen Herondale, because it's like, oh, that's Edmund. You know, that's like, you know, Will, that's Tessa. Tessa would be so disappointed. Oh, absolutely. And he and this is where Magnus is also we're hearing he's heard stirrings of a lost Herondale. There we have references here. And then they're like, okay, this is the one that we Oh, this must be from that other line that we're still kind of fuzzy on. But it's definitely not my Herondales. Yeah, it's definitely not. And in a flash forward in one of the chapters, it might be later in this one. Um, yeah, because this is 1989. And at the end of this chapter, it flashes to 1993. Um, mm-hmm. She goes, that's not my Herondale. He might be, but, but that is not mine. That is not my line. And Tessa denounces him in a way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's bad. It's bad. Uh, every time I see Valentine, I get... Ch- 
chills because you just know that he is a horrifying, charismatic leader. He is fucking blinding that 12-year-old werewolf girl and um, is really, really horrible. And he stabs Magnus in the back. This is backstory that we did not know. We did not know this. Um, I do not remember Maris and Robert and all of them slaughtering the white laws like this. Yeah, it always felt like Maris and Robert, they were just kind of complicit because they were there. But I didn't know that they were taking physical actions as well. Yeah, they were active as fuck. Uh, Really awful. Um, But then, then uh, we have the cover-up. The rogue werewolves killed all of them. Um, The last white law died in Magnus's arms. Uh, Terrible. Uh, Lucian, Lucian, come home with us. Jocelyn has something to tell you, Lucian. Gross, gross, all, all gross. Um, but, but eventually, eventually we say that the circle is defeated. We know this. Um, they, but they, they circle it back. They blame it on Downworld. And then this is where the Lightwoods and Hodge, Hodge, go to New York. And this is where we have the beginning of the Mortal Instruments. The Mortal Cup is lost. And then this is plus two years, 1993. Just what happens in 93? Jocelyn Morgenstern slash Fairchild shows the fuck up to Magnus and, and Tess's doorstep. They're having movie night. They're besties. They're watching Pride and Prejudice. Um, and it's 1993, so we know what version that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just being besties. I'm not going to dive into it because this is another part where I started spiraling. <laughs> um, just knowing that they're still there for each other. It's so long. All that stuff. All that stuff. We know, um, based on an earlier chapter that we discussed, that that um, Magnus said, you, ca- you call me, I come running. That is that is what he said. Him and Tessa are best friends. So Jocelyn shows up and they're like, woo, the food is here. It's not the food. It's Jocelyn. And he's like, if it's not the monster of the bride, goes to shut the door in her face because exactly. And and Tessa's like, wait, let's hear her out. And Magnus is like, why? Just because she's carrying a big ass baby. Because when she said that that baby was on- almost two, I was like, that is not a tiny thing that is being swaddled in her, her arms. Like my niece was, I know how old my niece was, how big she was when she was two. Um, and they're like, oh, but like, I'm trying to get away. Basically, she's like telling them, I had Morgan Stern's kid and I don't want her to be a part of this world. I want better. I done fucked up. Please don't have my mistakes um, reflect on her. She is truly an innocent child. And they were like talking about the fight and they were talking about Stephen Herondale. And even Tessa was like, this is the part where she's like, not my Herondale. Like you are. And she tells and she tells Jocelyn. Hold on. I have it marked. If you have the physical copy, it's page uh, hardcover. It's page 435. Um, Jocelyn and Tessa are talking and Jocelyn says, like, Stephen Herondale was my friend because she finds out that she's talking to Tessa, Tessa Herondale. And Tessa says, Stephen Herondale would have killed me if he'd ever met me. I would not have been safe living among people like you or like him. I am the wife and mother of warriors who fought and died and never dishonored themselves as you have. I have worn gear, wielded blades, and 
and slain demons. And all I wished was to overcome evil so that I could live and so I could live and be happy with those that I love. I'd hope I'd had, I hoped I had made this a better, safer world for my children. But because of Valentine's Circle, the Herondale line, the line that is my son's children's children, is finished. That happened through you and your circle and your husband. Stephen Herondale died with hate in his heart and blood and of my people on his hands. I can't imagine no more horrible way for mine and Will's line to end. Like, fuck you. The Like, I don't... The fact she's... Door closed immediately. What we constantly say or the people in the books that we read are better than us are, way, like, way better than us. Way better, way better, way better. Because uh, Tessa does eventually, after this, like, wonderful le- lesson on ethics, um, does say, like, we can't, we can't, like, turn away. Like, this kid is, like... Come on, come on, come on. I know a silent brother who will do the protections. It's fine. I know a guy. <laughs> I know a guy. Oh my God. I know a guy. Um, but and then and then of course, like Frey, Fairchild, you know, we can bind, you know, all Make of your gray. own name, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then she chooses like herself. Um, I like this little inclusion that we have. So I I just like knowing that like during the wedding of Luke and Jocelyn when Jocelyn goes over to speak to Tessa, we know that they know each other. We know that they have a relationship and what they could be talking about. It's just very special. And we know that these and this is stuff that we've known because of where we are in our reading. Um we know that this is this she doesn't just like know Tessa as a one off thing. Like this is almost a, this is a yearly thing up until Clary's 18th birthday. Um, this is an ongoing situation. She's known Magnus longer. Um, so there is I don't know if there's a friendship, but there is definitely some sort of rapport going on. Absolutely. We are almost we are almost done with this book. We have two chapters left. Um Take me through these dates. Take me through this first date. Take me through Magnus and Alec. So Magnus and Alec have their first date. It is after they had their first kiss on Alec's birthday. And they're just like, let's have a date. And Magnus wants it to be this whole thing. He's like, let me help. He asks for Katerina for help. She finally agrees to like (laughs) give him time. And she's like, I want to be best woman at your wedding. Again, I say this with like happy tears in my eyes because I was like, oh my God, because we know that they get married. This book, I will emphasize it so y'all can know if you want to fast forward. Um, This book came out in 2013. Like this book was published before the Dark Artifices even began. So we know, we know that the wedding's happening. And and Alex is a little uncomfortable. He's never been out. He's never, not only has it, he's, he's still kind of, He's out to his sister. He's out to his parabatai. He's out to Claire. He's out, but he's not out to his family or in public because word travels in these worlds. So he's like a downworlder or another Nephilim. Like 
my dad is the head of the institute. Like, my parents are big people. I can't have them knowing. He's very um, reserved in his affection um, in public with Magnus. So then they go out on their date. for and, Oh, and, and, and Alec is like, can, can I glamour myself? Can I make myself invisible? He's already like, I don't take public transportation. I just get there. Like, he's also kind of like, this is not what I want to do. And Magnus just wants to show him off to the world. Well, yeah, of course, because Alec is gorgeous, black hair, blue eyes. Of course. Of course, of course. But you're right. In the subway, uh, you know, there's a, there's like a mugger and there's a whole situation. There's a funny song. Have a good date. Time on your date, boys. Uh, oh, what about the pickpocketer that like Alec kind of threw on the ground? He's like, my bad. I didn't know you were a ninja. Like you're dating a ninja. Oh my God. It's just, it's just funny. Uh, Luigi, uh, at the dinner, they make the Ethiopian too spicy. Werewolf rights. Uh, just, just things keep happening. Uh, what, what does happen though is Katerina, Katerina calls and Magnus is like, all right, awesome. I'm going to get out of this terrible date. She's doing what I asked her to do. Katerina's like, no, there's actually, actually a fucking emergency. Bring your gorgeous shadow hunter. Like, go. Well, and you know, it's so because Magnus is like, maybe I just kind of romanticized this in my head. Like, they're both feeling like this is a really awkward first date. They're both like, I really like this guy, but like, this date sucks. And they had like a go-to plan. And so <laughs> she's like, bring the boy, bring the shadow hunter. And when he, and then when Alec got invited to go, he goes, oh, I thought that was just, oh, okay. Like, I thought that was just your gimmick to get out of this really bad date. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, because there's a young werewolf that's changing on the street at a bar, um, and Lucian can't go because Lucian is in the hospital with one of his loved ones. That's Jocelyn, so that puts us, you know, in our timeline. Um, so they go to they Magnus and Alec go to the bar. Um, there is a young girl and her friend. What's her friend's name? Is it Adrian and Mar? Adrian's the friend. Marcy is the werewolf. Marcy. The werewolf. Yeah. I couldn't read my note. Um, it looks like Marae. Uh, Marcy. <laughs> um, yes. Marcy convinced her to go out. She's changing. It's a whole situation. Um, Alec talks her down. Alec really kind of um, empathizes with her. They kind of, you see where Alec will be the head of the werewolf vampire shadow hunter cult. You see the seeds for that later on. It's it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. My gosh. Well and he has that line that he says to he says to Magnus, they say he Alex says to Magnus, he goes, Well one of the importance of being a shadow hunter are to help you know, to help people like to help people in need to, you know, people who need help and these they need help like why wouldn't i help like it was never a question because you know it it, is i mean again very telling to the world in which we live if at its core being a good person means being a good person it shouldn't matter who those people are it shouldn't and that's what alec or that's what magnus feels too he's like oh my gosh oh my gosh um can i see you again he just keeps falling harder and harder He's like, is this hope? Um, you know, hope. Like, you know, it was just his first kiss. Like, am I really gonna like go in on all of this guy? But he's like, yeah. And maybe, maybe Alec wouldn't break his heart. And and oh my god, we go from this and this like, you know, you're glamorous. You know, I'm so sorry. This this passionate kiss. I'm gonna call him Alexander. Something. You know, this is where we get Alexander. But we go from this 
to the voicemails after the incident in the city of Lost Souls. Jess, what happened here? Wrecked. So at this point, we're probably after book three in the Mortal Instruments is when they break up, right? Book three? I believe. Which book didn't you? You had me. You. It was before the book you had me not read. Right. Two. No, I skipped two. I have no idea. I skipped a book. Go back to the episodes. There's transparency there. I skipped one of the books and the Mortal Instruments. Anyway, we know they break up. We also know that I cried in that breakup, so I know I read it. Um, and here we are in these voicemails. We, again, we listen on audio, so they just they're hitting different. Um, and. They, they are some pleading voicemails and not all from Alec. They're from Isabel. They're from. They're, they're... Wait, wait. I, I wrote them. I wrote them all oh, you, down. You, okay. Okay. I'm just going to go through who they were from in okay. a list. Okay. Alec, Isabel, 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 Alec, Hadrian's Institute about the horned toads. Isabel, Clary, Alec, Simon, Alec. Client about the toads, more about the horned toads. Isabel, Maris, Maya, Isabel, Raphael. <laughs> I love that Raphael came back for this. Um, Isabel, Alec, Hadrian Industries. <laughs> Just they came to bat. The friends came to bat. They came to bat so hard. Um, because it was the voice narrator at one point, I thought they were. Like one part, you know, that like Isabel is trying to pretend she's somebody else when she's not like those are good. Claire's Simon is being like this good golden retriever boyfriend. He was like, don't tell like Isabel is right next to me. Don't tell Jace I said he's like really hot. (laughs) He's a badass. I just, uh, tears. I mean, the fact that Simon came through, that really wrecked me. Izzy, number one, she should be in anybody's, like, you want her in your corner. Um, and I love how she's like back and forth. She's like, I fucking hate you. I'm here. I'm going to break down your door. I tried to break down your door with your stupid wards. Like, okay. And then she'd call back. I'm sorry. I was just a little emotional. I've been informed that that could be perceived as a threat. That's not what this is. Just, just give me a call. Let's have, let's be seen and have a rational conversation. I just, I love her so much. And it was also really my my favorite was Raphael's, obviously. Um, uh, you know, Ragnar told me I have to pay Ragnar. I lost a bet. Like it's, you know, just you know, all the. You know. I, I hate this though. I love it. I love it. Uh, these voicemails were unexpected. I believe these voicemails are the bonus chapter. The uh, Bane Chronicles says that it has a bonus chapter. This might be it. And they're in the physical copy I have too. Yeah. There's also a PDF that's attached in the audio. Uh, very fun. Which was your favorite voicemail? Do you have one? No. No. I don't think I, I – not off the top of my head. I mean, it was probably there was one. Okay, I had a question. You know, okay, it was the last voice mail that Alex said, "Hey," and that one that I left at like three fifteen, where he was pouring out his soul. Like that's not there though. I feel like that, right? Yeah, it's there. Oh, oh, it is there. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's the one where he's like, "I'm the best person uh, that you'll ever have." Like, Jace, wake up, wake up. How do you delete a message on somebody oh, else's yeah, yeah, phone? Yeah, that that one. I also like where Isabel is like, "I won't let my children talk to you. 
You don't know. You're messing out on this whole bloodline. If you don't, you need to get back with my brother. I just, I, I, I every time there's a new person, I'm like, Magnus. I love Magnus. I love Simon. I love Izzy. I love, I love all of them. They bring such a special dynamic. And when we talk about found family being one of our top three favorite tropes, I think easily between the two of us, um, I think. And and one of the things that we always talk about is showing and not telling. Um, this series is a perfect example of that and that I believe it. Like, it's stuff like this that I'm like, yeah. What was yours? I guess, I guess, okay. My favorite, like, my favorite voicemail would be Raphael's. But I do love the um, sincerity of all of Alex's voicemails. And then the rage emotional of just the one because you don't see that side a lot of alec um just the like pure emotional side and it it was it was nice it was nice to just know that like he's really hung up on a boy and and it's it's really affecting him and he's going through this breakup and we know what this breakup was that's the other thing it was it was alec going to camille about becoming immortal and like maybe being with Magnus forever. And it's just like, well, yeah, that's gonna, that's gonna really get to Magnus. Like, first of all, everyone leaves him. No one wants to live with him. That's what Magnus says. They all leave him. Uh, You're going to Camille to learn about your, to learn about me, Magnus. You're going to Camille to talk about me. And then you're thinking about becoming immortal to be with me forever you're you're 18 like you don't like come on so knowing all of that you're like okay magnus like i i see where your head was during this but then we see all of these other voicemails and you're just like oh but we know it's a happily we know it's happily and and we also know that these voicemails well we can assume that um, Magnus never heard them because right. the final line at the end of the voicemail, they were like, these voicemails are really difficult to retrieve. Um, they were retrieved from a broken device, like a broken magical device set magically on fire. Magic, magic, magic. Um, so it was like really hard to come by these. So we know that Magnus, he was just as hurt. We know that we know this, that he was breaking too. Oh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> Um, so that that is the end we have we have reached the end i think i think i think the question i think to ask is just do you like shadow hunters i love shadow hunters honestly it's like i go you know it's we've talked about it in previous episodes where you know when you're trying to look for a, a, a series that you're trying to chase that high from like the first one it's like that, even though this is so different from, you know, Throne of Glass and and Crescent City and Akatar and all the things that we love that got us and in, like into this podcast fantasy world to just love these things. This is so special in its own way. And it's so different because you have you have there's so many different levels we have the wicked powers that's confirmed but not even written we have blackthorn manor that we haven't even 
approach to start reading yet. Um, then even with this, th- this has had my wheels spinning where Tessa says, my son's children's children. I was like, we don't have those yet. Well, that's another three. That's all thinking about these books that she's not even thinking about. I was like, Easter egg. I feel like a Swifty looking for Easter eggs. It's it's very exciting. And I, of course, am extremely excited to continue our Shadowhunters journeys with the last hours. Just so much fun. I was going to say, where do we go next? Like, there's still like, I know that there's the Red Sea Scrolls. I know of those. But I do, we don't have a lot left, do we? No, we have two <sighs> books of Alec and Magnus, and we have three books of The Last Hours, and then uh, Blackthorn Manor, and whatever she decides to give us for The Wicked Powers. We are almost completely done with everything. My heart hurts. <laughs> it's really wonderful. This has been a journey. It has been a journey. And of course... Uh, you know, people don't like Cassie Clare. Please do your own research. We will always say that. But uh, this is a long one. You've stuck out with us. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. I will uh, kill this ant. Thanks for joining us. You can feel free to follow us on Instagram, Acafe Podcast. We're also both on TikTok, Acafe Laura and Acafe Jessica. Um, thanks for joining. Thanks for your patience. And thanks for ke- staying part of this journey as we keep um going on the adventures <laughs> laura's killing an ant um doing these adventures with the shadow hunters <laughs> talk to y'all soon bye you got it i did get it 